This evening we will hear the word of the Lord from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to about halfway through verse 10. The title of the message tonight is Handling the Pressure from the Ungodly. As we saw this morning, 2 Peter begins with a warning about the presence and danger of false teachers inside the church. These are teachers who both practice and promote ungodliness. And as we saw this morning, Peter makes it clear their destruction is certain. In our text this evening, Peter picks up that theme of the destruction of the ungodly. 2 Peter chapter 2 We'll begin in verse 4. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to change of darkness, being kept for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who go after the flesh in its corrupt lust and despise authority. Let's pray. God, again, we turn to the Scripture to hear your voice. Please speak, God, by your Spirit. Grant me the words to say that would communicate clearly the meaning of this passage that would help us see and understand how we should respond to it. God, please grant us ears to hear. Grant us hearts that love the truth and long for the truth and desire to conform to it. Come now and do a work through the preaching of your word. We ask it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. To live ungodly is easy. Just follow the ways of the world around you. Just give in to all the desires of your sinful human nature. Just say yes to all the temptations of the enemy to indulge your sinful passions. In other words, just do whatever you want to do with no regard for morality or what's right or wrong. If you want to live ungodly, that's all you have to do. Do whatever you want to do. Do what everybody else is doing. On the other hand, to live godly isn't always easy. You have to go against the ways of the world. You have, to, you have to deny the desires of your sinful human nature. 
You have to say no to all the temptations of the enemy when he wants you to indulge those sinful passions. Now, we know that God provides us the strength and the resources we need to live a godly life, but still, it isn't easy. And as we all know, there is constant pressure to join the ungodly in their ungodly lifestyle. Like the current of a, of a strong river, there is a steady pull from the world. There's that steady pull of our sinful human nature. There's the steady pull from the devil just to go with the flow of ungodliness. And the truth is, the ungodly do seem to be enjoying themselves. So why don't we just drift with the current? It sure would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Here's why. That river that's pulling us leads to a great waterfall. And those who drift with the current of ungodliness will be plunged to eternal destruction. That's why we don't just go with the flow. That's why we don't just drift with the current of ungodliness. That's why when the world, the flesh, and the devil all constantly pressure us, it, it'd be so much easier just to go with the current. We don't. Because the end of that road is damnation. Peter has spent the majority of his first chapter challenging and calling his readers to godliness. Rem reminding us how important it is to be godly, to heed the call that Jesus is going to come back again and be ready by living godly lives. And as we've moved into chapter 2, he warns us they're going to be false prophets. They're right there in your midst. They're going to tell you that Jesus is not really coming back. It's okay to live ungodly lives. Peter calls their teaching destructive heresies. And he said a lot of people are going to follow them. The truth is going to be spoken against. They're going to exploit the people of God and their judgment is coming. Their guilt is already decided. They will be destroyed. And the last thing he says in verse 3 is their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. And then comes the word in verse 4, for or because. The last thing we looked at this morning was we saw that these false teachers who live ungodly lives are headed for destruction. Now, what Peter wants to do in the verses we're moving in tonight, he wants to make sure that we don't doubt the destruction of the ungodly. He wants to make sure we know God is full well able and determined to bring judgment on the ungodly. 
There are two things you and I need to remember when we're pressured to live ungodly. When we, when we see and hear and feel the world and the flesh and the devil kind of pulling us just, just to accept the way things are, just go with the flow, it'd be so much easier. When you feel that pressure, there are two things God's people need very much to remember. And here's the first one. The Lord will keep the ungodly for judgment. The Lord will keep the ungodly for judgment. What does that mean? It means like you take a prisoner who's been convicted, but he hasn't been sentenced yet, and you put him in a, just in a jail, a holding cell, until the day when his sentence is passed and he can be carried out to wherever prison he's going to go. What's he doing? He's being kept until his sentence is carried out. That's what God's saying. Those who live ungodly, their guilt has already been determined and it's saying God is well able to keep them in his custody, so to speak, until the time to carry out their judgment. In other words, they're not going to escape the judgment, the sentence that's already been handed down. And what Peter does, he gives us three examples of how God has brought judgment on the ungodly in the past. And these examples are to serve as reminders to you and I that God knows how to bring judgment on the ungodly lest you question that he will indeed judge the ungodly, he reminds us of three instances God's already done it. Notice verse 4. God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness, being kept for judgment. Now, he doesn't tell us specifically what incident this is referring to. There's a couple of different opinions. Here's the idea. God created the angels to serve Him and carry out His purposes and do His bidding. They are under His authority. Exalted beings under the authority of God. At some point, they have rebelled against God's authority. They sinned. My guess is this is when Satan led one-third of the heavenly host to rebel against God. And what did God do? He cast them out of heaven. And like a prisoner who has been convicted and is just awaiting his sentence to be carried out. Those angels are being kept, so to speak, for the day of judgment. Now you'll notice verse 4 says, God cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness, being kept for judgment. Whether that's a literal picture, whether they're literally in chains or if that's possibly just metaphorical. In other words, they're, 
you know, it's like they're already locked up. They've already been cast out of the presence of God. But whatever the case, the point is clear. God created the heavenly hosts to serve Him and His purpose. They rebelled against Him. They have been cast out of the presence of God. God has passed sentence on them, and now they are being held over for the day of judgment. And I want you to notice what he said. God did not spare those who sinned. Let me show you the second example. Verse 5. God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. There you see that same phrase again. You see it? God did not spare. He brought a flood on the world of the ungodly. Obviously, this is a reference to what begins in Genesis chapter 6, Noah and the flood account. Genesis 6, 5, Yahweh saw that the evil of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually, and God regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and birds of the sky, for I regret that I have made them. That's Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7. The wickedness of man was great on the earth and God did not spare the ungodly. Twice. The angels who rebelled against God's authority became ungodly. God has condemned them and they are being held over for judgment. The people in Noah's day were thoroughly and completely wicked. God brought judgment upon them by the flood. Now there's a third example. Let's look at it. Verse 6. He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Genesis chapter 19 is where God rains down burning fire and sulfur on the cities, reducing them to ashes. The, the, the ground was so marred you couldn't even grow anything in it absolutely destroyed and the Bible says it was because of their quote abominations abominable deeds their sexual perversion their absolute ungodliness and, and do you remember Abraham kind of bartering with God God if if I can find 50 righteous people in the city if there are 50 righteous people will you spare the city yeah I'll spare it. Well, well, what if there's just 30? Will you spare it? Yeah. Lord, don't kill me, but what if there's just 10? 
he couldn't even find ten righteous people. And God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah and wiped them off of the face of the earth. You see it? These three examples. God did not spare the angels. God did not spare the ancient world. God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And notice how verse 6 ends. Having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. Sodom and Gomorrah are to serve as an example of what happens when you live an ungodly life. Did you notice how this whole thing begins back in verse 4? For if God did not spare the angels who sinned. Did you catch it? If God didn't spare the angels who sinned, if God didn't spare the ancient world in Noah's day, if God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, then, verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. You catch that? If God condemned the angels who rebelled against him, if God condemned the ancient world who were ungodly in the days of Noah, if God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, then God is fully able to keep the ungodly today for judgment. To preserve them. To keep them from escaping so that judgment... The whole point is this. Look at the examples of how God has judged ungodliness in the past and recognize and be absolutely certain that those who are ungodly will not escape. God has demonstrated He knows very well how to bring destruction on the ungodly. And the way He says it here is He is able to keep the unrighteous under punishment under punishment. In other words, they're under the sentence of punishment for the day of judgment. Especially those who go after the flesh in its corrupt lust and despise authority. In other words, those people who practice unrestrained godlessness and they despise spiritual authority. See, that's what these false teachers were doing. They said, Jesus is not coming back. We can live any way we want to. So they were living unrestrained, godless lives. They, no morals at all. And they despised God's spiritual authority through his apostles. And God said, those people are especially being held under judgment. Do you remember what the Gospel of John says? that those who don't believe in Jesus are condemned already? Not will be condemned, are condemned already. He says the wrath of God abides on them already. The ungodly are already under a sentence of judgment. They're, they're being held in that holding cell until the day comes their sentence is going to be carried out. 
Oh, I, I know they're walking the earth and they seem to be free. But they're not free. They're not free. Sentence has been passed. God is preserving them for the day of judgment. This is what I need you to see. Peter says, the Lord will keep the ungodly for judgment. Oh, will you listen to me, friend? Why do, we, why do we swim against the current of godlessness? It'd be so much easier just to let people do what they want to do and we could do what we want to do. Instead of trying to walk with God in this world, it's just like swimming against the river. Why do we do it? Because those who practice and promote ungodliness will not escape. They will face the judgment of God. That's why we do it. That's why we withstand the pressure from the world and in the strength of God, we strive for godliness. There's a second reminder we need when we feel the pressure to live ungodly. Not only will the Lord keep the ungodly for judgment, the Lord will keep the godly from judgment. You see the difference? God is going to keep or preserve the ungodly for judgment, and He's going to keep or preserve the godly from judgment. The ungodly will be held so they can be judged. The godly have the assurance that God will keep them from judgment. Let me show you in the text. He says this to us. Back to verse 4. God didn't spare the angels. We saw that. Verse 5. He didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others. He preserved Noah in the midst of a godless world. I, I want to remind you what it says about Noah back in Genesis chapter 6. Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I regret that I have made them. Verse 8 of Genesis 6. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. Verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among those in his generations. Noah walked with God. Was Noah perfect? No. But Noah walked with God. He sought to live and walk in godliness and obey the Lord. And what did God do? Preserved him in the midst of judgment. When destruction came on the wickedness of the world, God preserved Noah. And he calls him here a preacher of righteousness. We don't have a record of Noah's preaching. But likely the picture is during the 120 years Noah's building the ark, he's telling the men and women what God is doing. They call him an idiot. What are you doing? You, you, okay, now that you know you can build an ark, how are you going to make it rain? 
And Noah was preaching. If you don't turn away from your godlessness, if you don't walk in righteousness before God, He's going to flood the earth. They didn't listen. They were judged, but God preserved Noah. Right in the midst of destruction, God kept Noah from judgment. We have another example. Verse 6, he condemned Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction, reduced them to ashes, making them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. He rescued righteous Lot. Now, Lot's not normally a guy we think of as particularly righteous. But this is what Peter's telling us. Lot also was by no means a perfect man. But if you look at what it says about Lot down in verse 8, when he saw the, the godless behavior of the people of Sodom, of Sodom and Gomorrah, their homosexuality and their lusting after... Man, you, you remember when the two, the two men, the angels of God, came to Lot to warn him Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed? They came into his house... And the men of the city gathered at the door to try to get those men to have their way with them, commit this abominable act in the eyes of God until they were struck with blindness. But what did Lot do? He protected them. He even said, look, I'll give you my daughters. But don't, don't violate these men. And what Peter's saying to us here is Lot was tormented by their godlessness and their lawlessness. The conduct of these people, in other words, he wasn't okay with it. He recognized the evil of it. He lived differently. He, he was set apart from the ungodly in Sodom. And God had pity on Lot and his family. And if you remember the account, the angels actually grabbed Lot and his family by the hands and brought them out of the city before God rained down sulfur and fire on the city, destroying it. Twice we see in Noah and now in Lot. There is wickedness all around. God has determined to judge the wicked. But what does He do? He reaches down in the middle of the wickedness, finds those who are godly, and preserves them. Peter shows us both of these examples. What's he trying to say? If God rescued Lot... If God rescued Noah, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial. You could translate that temptation. 
In other words, just like God knew how to rescue Noah from the wicked of his day and from the destruction they were going to face, just like God knew how to rescue Lot from the destruction that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to face, in the same way today, God knows how to rescue the godly from the midst of ungodliness so that we don't face the same destruction they do. God is very well able to bring judgment upon the ungodly and he is very well able to preserve the godly from that same judgment. Now what we're talking about here is in theological circles what we'd refer to as the perseverance of the saints. What does that mean? If you are born again, as evidenced by godliness of life, God will see to it that you persevere in the faith, that you remain faithful to Jesus until the end. If you're truly born again, God will strengthen you by His Spirit. He will preserve you. He will keep you. Just like we said God knows how to keep the ungodly, the picture of them being put in a holding cell where they can't escape the death sentence that awaits them, it's kind of the same idea. God knows how to keep the godly. Only He's not keeping them for a day of judgment. He's keeping them for a day of salvation. He's holding them to Himself so that they won't drift away into judgment. You see, you see the picture? God's holding on to His own. We know who His own are because of the godliness of their life. And that's what Peter's saying. If, you're, if you are born again, which is evidenced by the godliness in your life, then you can rest assured that God knows how to keep you from falling into the judgment this world is going to face for their ungodliness. Listen, there is pressure on all sides for us to live ungodly. Just do whatever feels good. Don't preach against ungodliness because it's just going to bring hate and criticism and we don't want to deal with all that. Just, just go with the flow. Let people do what they want to do. You do what you want to do. In other words, relax your morals. Let go of those biblical standards. Don't, don't preach right and wrong. Just let people decide for themselves what's right and wrong. Go with the flow. Drift with the current. It's a lot easier. Here's the problem. God knows how to bring the ungodly to judgment, and he certainly will do it. We got to remember that. Why don't we give in? Because God is going to bring judgment on the ungodly. And there's something else we got to remember too. It's not only is God going to bring judgment on the ungodly, but, excuse me, we have to remember that God 
is well able to keep us in the faith. Why do we, why do we struggle and, and strive and, and reach for godliness and, and try to live a godly life? Because, excuse me, because we know God will keep us. Does that make sense? God is going to keep the ungodly for judgment and he's going to keep the godly from judgment. We can't escape the pressure of this world to live ungodly lives. But we can remember to keep swimming against the tide because God will strengthen us. God will strengthen us. And when the rest of the world plunges over that waterfall to their eternal destruction, the Savior will be there to lift us from the river to glory. Let's pray.